Welcome to Sofa Security Chat Chat, episode 60 for May the 19th, 2011. I'm Chester Wisniewski, and I'm here with my guest, Ben Jupp. Uh, ben works in our global escalation support department and is one of our kind of He's one of the guys we go to for non-Windows things. It's like, you know, it's the bucket that everything falls into that's non-Windows worlds. So ben does a lot of work with us in Linux and Mac and and uh, all this kind of stuff. Works with development, product management. I thought there was a lot of Mac news the last few weeks, so I invited Ben to join us. Welcome, Ben. Hi. And... Um, so I'm going to go through the news really quickly. Some of you that are regular listeners that subscribe to our RSS feed may have noticed some sporadic activity. My apologies. We rebuilt our website recently, and as a result of that, I had some challenges with getting the RSS feed working. So there was a bundle of like four chat chats that all came out in one day when I figured out how to make it work. Um, and then on top of that, last week I lost my voice, and so I decided that that might be one of the least interesting chat chats if I were to basically croak out weird random noises into the microphone that it might not be very pleasurable for for anybody so i decided to skip one and so far i'm on the track of missing one a year so we'll see if we can we'll stick with that so uh, i'm sticking with this being number 60 and uh the news this week so uh, the last week there was some interesting stuff uh, that the white house released uh, basically a 58 page document detailing President Obama's uh, proposals around enhancements to cybersecurity in America around all different things, um, you know, critical infrastructure, all, all different bits and pieces. A lot of what he proposed was strengthening the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act to include a lot of non-governmental stuff, whereas historically pieces of it very specifically had stronger penalties if it were government systems. Another component of it that I thought was a lot more interesting, however, was uh, changing the RICO Act, as it's known, which is an anti-racketeering law in the United States, or a organized crime law that gives law enforcement a lot more latitude when trying to tackle um, difficulties with organized crime. And basically just changing it to include, you know, cyber criminals and organized cyber crime. Um, you know, Ben, you know, we study this stuff a lot in the labs, and we don't often get into like tracking down individual criminals and things so much. But we can look at a thing and go, ah, this fake AV, that's the gang over here in St. Petersburg. We know the guys behind that. Oh, this particular Canadian pharmacy scam, that's this other group that we track and we know who they are. And we know that they're very sophisticated and organized. Uh, you know, is, does cybercrime really measure up to the same types of thing as, as we think of as the historic mafia and in the physical world crime? Yeah, I think if you look at it, the, the, the profit that can be made from cybercrime at the moment is probably far outstretches what's done in the physical world and what the RICO Act currently covers. The the amount of malware that we're seeing and ran, uh, ransomware, that sort of stuff, is particularly powerful. There's so much of it coming out. Oh, and tons of money. Like, that's the thing here. I mean, when we think about historical organized crime, in a lot of cases, uh, it's somewhat... Uh, small amounts from a smaller number of victims compared to stuff like rogue security software, fake antivirus, these things where these guys are pulling in millions of dollars from tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of victims, as opposed to maybe shaking a guy down because he didn't pay his gambling debt. Uh, it's a very different thing. So I think it's interesting. It's, of course, it's just a proposal. It's not law. Uh, we'll see how the Congress responds to President Obama's um, suggestions. For those of you that are interested in this stuff, I also posted on uh, updates to the Data Breach Notification Act that he's proposing, which would be a national data breach law, finally, in the United States. 
and in, and there's like five or six more components to it. So every day this week, I'm going to be releasing a new article on Naked Security, talking about in detail the president's proposals and and a little bit of the office opinion related to those proposals and whether we think that they'll be helpful or or feedback on them. That maybe maybe if there's some congressmen listening, they can uh, learn something from uh, from our research and analysis. Uh, Android's been in the news a lot. Uh, the mobile malware scene seems to be heating up and getting a lot of press now. I'm, it's not clear to me how many people are being victimized necessarily on their mobiles yet. We've seen some incidents in Japan, in China in particular. Uh, but, you know, Google, the whole idea of patching Android seems to be a real problem for Google. They, they were insecurely communicating authorization tokens for synchronizing your contacts and calendar on all but Android 2.3.3, which unfortunately is, from what I can tell, available on a, a mysterious number of phantom devices. And maybe uh, it's it's pr- quite common in Sophos Labs because we've all hacked our Android devices and want to run the latest firmware on them, even though it may not be available from our carriers. But most people don't think about patching their phone. There's no patch Tuesday for the device in your pocket. So the Android stuff uh, is a little scary. Fortunately, Google was able to very quickly uh, update the server side to force it to use SSL so those tokens are protected now. But it does lead to bigger questions about patching these devices in the future. So hopefully Google will be able to work out a good plan with device manufacturers and with the uh, carriers. And some SMS Trojan stuff is available for Android as well. If you're interested, uh, Vanya's our uh, Sophos Labs expert on uh, mobile malware, and he's posted some great stuff up on nakedsecurity.sophos.com if you'd like more, de- more details or information. Data loss incidents don't seem to be stopping. Uh, Square Enix, uh, one of the software developers, in fact, that's uh, related to Sony's platform. They develop software for computers and and, uh, game consoles, this kind of thing, had 25,000 emails and 350 resumes of uh, job applicants stolen from them. I mean, the emails um, are quite commonly stolen. It's somewhat of a piece of public information. After the Epsilon breach, 25,000 seems small. Um, However... You know, resumes, that's a pretty serious thing. And so folks that may have applied for jobs at Square Enix certainly should be on the lookout. But, you know, these data security problems aren't isolated to any industry or or particular company. I mean, Sony's certainly taking a bad rap for things. But, you know, this is a very, very widespread problem. And that's why that Data Breach Notification Act, certainly for U.S.-based companies, uh, should be a wake-up call because there's some severe penalties in there. I mean, $1,000 per person per record per record per day for non-compliance up to a million dollars um, is a pretty serious penalty. Um, Sony had a little bit of another little blurb of a screw up, but I, I didn't, we didn't go into much detail. We didn't write a story on it or anything, but they made a little boo-boo in letting you reset your password using the same information that was stolen in the breach, which um, seems a bit amateurish, but clearly they're, they're clambering to get their service back up and doing their best. I certainly am glad I'm not in charge of security at Sony at the moment, but you know, hopefully they, uh, they'll be a little more careful next go around. Uh, looking forward to future chat chats. Uh, Ossert was uh, this this week, and it sounds like it was a very successful event. We had a lot of our, our folks from Sophos Australia, including Paul Ducklin down at Ossert, and we had our uh, Decodeem challenge of our T-shirt with a a rather clever Python script to determine um, the, where you had to hack and figure out what the passphrase was from a Monty Python sketch. So anybody interested in solving the puzzle, go to nakedsecurity.sophos.com. It's posted there if you'd like to participate, as well as uh, the folks that attended Ossert got. T- t-shirts which is pretty cool so hoping to have someone from Sophos Australia on the chat chat in the next couple weeks to share some of the insights they learned at Ossert and now the reason I have been here um, Mac stuff so you know we've saw this story 
start about three weeks ago, four weeks ago, when the uh, Osama bin Laden death started and it was coming up on Mother's Day in the United States and we saw a lot of poisoned Google image search results that were leading to um, somewhat intelligent scripts that would go, ah, are you on Windows or Mac? And if you were a Mac user, it would serve you up Mac malware. And of course, if it were just another Windows fake AV SEO poison, it wouldn't have been much of a story. But of course, the fact that most Mac users seem to think that they're somewhat immune led to it turning into a bit of a story. Now it seems to be growing in attention in the industry. We've seen crime work hits related to the Mac. And I guess I w- we wanted to kind of cover today beginning to end positive negative hype to downplay the whole cycle of what is really happening out there with uh, hopefully in a, a very voice of reason manner about what we're really seeing and so i think i i posted the first thing from sophos on this because to me it was newsworthy because real mac users were getting hit with it like it was coming up on a, a large number of search terms and you know, it was easy to find when we heard about it and went in the lab and started playing. It was only a matter of a few minutes with myself and a few of the guys that were like able to find real pages that were trying to infect people. Now, the, 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 the press's reaction, or a lot of the public Mac reaction was, well, who's dumb enough to intentionally install malware? Because, of course, when this thing does hit you, you do have to type in your administrative password just like you were installing a legit app. You know, what, what's your reaction to that, Ben? I mean, we, we've obviously been hearing from people yeah i mean i think what you find is a lot of people that use macs day in day out and understand what they're doing won't fall for this attack they'll understand what that something's popped up and they don't know what it is and they're not going to allow it for all the people that use it day by day and they're not a computer expert they're used to their machine popping up a authorization request and they think well my computer needs my password i'll put it in just like UAC on Windows. Yeah, precisely. And for them, the social engineering hit works. There's enough people out there that will fall for it that this is the return on investment for generating these fake AVs is obviously paying off. So are you suggesting kind of, and I've kind of felt this way for a while, there's almost like this um, reverse bell curve of Mac users. You've got like extremely sophisticated techie nerds. Like everybody I know in the security space, when I go to a conference, pulls out a MacBook and these guys know what they're doing, right? They just love the device for the fact that it's Unix and, you know, all this kind of stuff. But then the rest of the Mac users seem to be mostly at the other end of the spectrum and that a lot of them maybe bought a Mac thinking that that would solve some of their worries about security and that they weren't going to have to think about it anymore like they did on their Windows machines. And they're rather unsophisticated. They simply wanted to open it up and get on Facebook. Yeah, I I think there's still a a big divide between the very techie user and the very novice user. Um, The Aqua interface certainly provides a very intuitive, very easy-to-use system, and the user doesn't need to delve into the underground. With Windows, at least up to Windows 7 at least, you've had to understand a bit of what you're doing. Normal users have had to kind of understand what they're doing, and they don't fall as easily into some of the tricks. So you think Mac users are more susceptible? Maybe. Potentially, yeah. I mean, certainly, I agree at the security conferences, everyone's running a Mac. Everyone's sitting there with terminal windows open and playing around on on the command line. So it's certainly very, very powerful, but most users would be scared witless if they saw a terminal pop up. Yeah, I guess it would be the difference between the Wi-Fi at uh, um, Sector having more SSH connections than HTTP, potentially, versus the Wi-Fi at the average Mac store. Um, perhaps it'd be the, the, the reverse of the situation. Yeah. Um, well, but you know, our Mac users, um, so, you know, we're, uh, to me, my reaction when I first heard of the concept of fake 
security software for a Mac was, how foolish is this? Mac users don't think they need security software. How could you sell them fake Mac security software when they can get free Mac security software from Sophos? It's, it's brilliant I, irony. It is, isn't it? And, and, but it must be working. I mean, have, have we been, I mean, have we been seeing more of these attacks as time has been progressing? I mean, we're seeing more variants? Yeah, the number of samples we're seeing in the lab are, are certainly increasing. The, and the number of variants per day is rivaling that of a normal fake AV on Windows, which is an interesting thing. I mean, obviously, there are less threats out there for Mac, and the Windows threat number vastly outnumbers it. But the fact that something's come out that's been successful enough to infect a number of people, the, the, the people manufacturing this are putting effort into it to create new variants every day. They're obviously making money out of it. Yeah, that was that was what was interesting to me as well. I was thinking about this from the standpoint of, um, you know, when we did a, a survey on our website, uh, kind of a scan, a free computer scan for people, and we saw that, you know, ninety some odd percent had AV installed on Windows, and of those, you know, eighty some or something was up to date. So you know, not everybody was up to date, but almost everybody had something. Same thing with firewalls; it was nearly a hundred percent installed. Sixty percent were on, but they were all installed at least, and and a good chunk of them were on. And I'm, you know, I'm wondering if there might be more profit, even though it's a smaller user base. Like, you know, Mac users maybe represent 10% of the community out there, and yet 90% of them probably have nothing. Um, so you've got a, a larger attack surface um, amongst that user base. And then you look at Windows users and you go, well, 99% of them have something in place to stop the crimeware. And they're also, they're also a bit more suspicious because they do get hit with stuff quite frequently in Windows. It's a common occurrence. So you're a little bit more you know, cautious perhaps. And, and, you know, if you think you're safe, you might take more risks. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so we, you know, there was another story this week related to Apple on the, the app store. So the, the, the story was a researcher went and looked, and I think the primary example he used was the opera web browser and said, you know, it was two versions out of date from security vulnerability perspective is this something Apple can actually, I mean, you know, the opera guy said, well, we submitted the new version to be approved, but of course it's got to go through this onerous process with Apple to be approved, to be put on the app store. Uh, is this something that you think Apple's going to kind of streamline in the future, or is this going to be an ongoing problem? Because, you know, we do see things being exploited quite soon after they're disclosed. Yeah. Ideally Apple need to address this reasonably quickly if they can having some kind of weighted priority on submissions. So a submission for a security vulnerability patch should be higher up than a couple of new levels on a game. I was just going to say two more levels for Angry Birds, perhaps. <laughs> Precisely. I mean, personally, I like the idea of the App Store. The fact that it's sandboxed, the fact that things are checked before they go in means that it's, it is going to be much, much harder for, for malware or threats or exploits to go into that kind of area. And we've certainly seen in the android marketplace that it's been a lot easier to release that sort of stuff absolutely the problem is is with the security patches that apple need to to still have the same amount of control still do the same vetting process but be much quicker patching things that need to be patched quickly yeah it's a, it's a big challenge and i'm not sure how they're going to approach it but it, it 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 is kind of this they're failing a little bit in their mission to some degree. They promise you by using the App Store, everything will just automatically be up to date. You don't have to worry about anything. And, of course, the App Store itself stops programs being installed through the App Store from 
altering the operating system files and you know things like this and not installing kernel modules that could be risky or root kits and so you get this level of security by consuming things through the app store and yet things you consume through the app store could introduce all those very things they promise you won't happen because the app store didn't keep them up to date and had you just downloaded firefox or opera from the manufacturer you would have been protected but because you chose to get them through the app store now you're vulnerable so it's this really odd catch-22 yeah and and there'll certainly be people out there that i for myself still get most of my my software via other means i don't tend to use the app store all that much and for me i have i have software that will check for updates every single day to check see if i need to patch for your normal apple user the app store is going to be the de facto thing now so if they're not quick enough then the actual attack space on the Mac is going to increase. Yeah, it almost identifies things for attackers who do decide to target the platform, gives them an easier choice of what to attack because they can see which things are behind on the App Store, even though they understand the vulnerability already because the CVE was disclosed or you know the information's been floating out there, it, it, it does potentially present a larger attack surface by accident. So hopefully, you know, maybe Apple will get to a point where they can certify certain well-known vendors and very well-used applications that are frequently targeted, like Adobe Reader and Opera and Chrome and Firefox and these types of things, and maybe find some happy medium where if it's digitally signed by you know by a known vendor using that vendor's certificate maybe they can allow that vendor to shoot through the process either automatically or or in a certainly an exceptionally streamlined way to lower that attack surface but i thought it was interesting in combination with what we saw with the mac defender fake antivirus stuff this week that yeah okay mac defenders relying right now on the fact that you're comfortable typing your password in if these things continue to happen users will start getting a little more suspicious hopefully, and that will reduce the number of successful installations of this software. But then if they really decide to go drive-by instead of having you have to install it, the App Store almost kind of puts you at a a greater risk. So um, it is nice to have one throat to choke for your updates. I mean, like to be able to go software update and know that your operating system got updated, your Flash player got updated, and then as a user, it's very much the Apple experience. I mean, isn't it? It's very shiny and simple. It's it's the ultimate in brilliantly simple security apple will they downplay the security side of it but it is the idea is that everything just works and if it if they can achieve that that's a monumental goal at the moment they're some way short of it yeah well actually i'm going to wrap up in just a second with the last thing i remember from when i was playing with the fake uh, mac defender software last week was uh it actually flat it shows the app store in the finder um fake animation that makes you think you're infected it actually shows the app store logo with like a list of numbered applications in the red circle that are that need to be patched or whatever that that the app store is trying to get your attention it's it was quite entertaining to see that they they um they went all out with the most current version of OS 10 before they tried to convince you of all this stuff. And do you think we're going to see changes related to security in Lion? Uh, I know, you know, I mean, I mean, around this kind of thing, as we talked la- last year, you kind of were one of the people to help discover the X-Protect kind of very limited AV feature inside of OS 10. Um, do you imagine Apple, after these incidents, might make some changes before the release of Lion, or do you think it's too late? It's never too late, but... There is certainly some stuff in line that has been changed. It appears that the ASLR in the kernel is much improved, um, and the kernel seems to be booting to 64-bit mode. That should help with the security side of things. So so exploits will be more difficult, but social engineering won't be impacted. No, social engineering is always going to be a problem. The one thing that Lion does give us, which is interesting specifically that the, um, the fake AV actually already runs on it, is that 10.7 is probably going to become the template OS 
from a Mac point of view, for malware to be written against. Moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, well, that'll be interesting. And, and the other part of it that'll be interesting is to see if we start seeing fake antivirus for iPads or something. I mean, the, the reality is every time we see a new jailbreak application, that means there's a new exploit because jailbreaking requires an exploit in order for it to succeed. So it would be very easy for criminals to compromise iOS devices through these exploits because the code for the jailbreaking tools is often made very public um, and could be used to deploy anything aside from a jailbreak. So hopefully we won't see fake security software for iPads, and hopefully Apple will change their minds and we'll see real security software for iPads and iPhones. But um, on that note, I'll wrap up. Thanks for joining us, Ben. My pleasure. Um, until next week, uh, as always, you can get our podcasts at podcasts.sophos.com or subscribe via RSS or iTunes. For the latest news, visit nakedsecurity.sophos.com. And until next week, stay secure.